book of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Let's pray. God, where are you? We cannot see you. We cannot look at you. Uh, we don't know how to find you, God. We're told that you're in heaven, but we don't quite know where that is. So, Lord, how does one get in touch with you? How does one come to know you? But we thank you that you are a God who has answered because of our limitedness as humans and also because of our sinfulness. We thank you that you have made yourself known to us. That through your word, spoken through the prophets long ago, written down in scripture, we have the Bible. And that through that word, we can come to know the living God who made us. And we thank you that that word became flesh and dwelt among us. That he put on human flesh and, and became made in the image of man. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who reveals you to us. And so God, we thank you that even though we are lost and clueless, you are a God who in love and mercy has made yourself known to us. And so as we study your word this morning, we pray that we might know you through your word. We pray, Lord, that you might speak to our hearts. Our desire is not just to, to think some new thoughts or get some new information or to hear a good message, Lord, but our, our purpose here, God, is to hear from you. And so we pray, and I pray for myself, that you would speak to us now through your word. We come to it with expectation, with eagerness to find out what you would say to us. We desire to know you better. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'd like to start this morning with a pop quiz. If you could take out your sermon notes, which is this little insert in your bulletin. Take out the pop quiz. Our quiz this morning is called Name That Company. Below are five mission statements from well-known companies or organizations. And I would like you to try to guess which company they represent. So go down the list and you'll see five mission statements there. Take maybe a pencil from the pew rack in front of you or if you brought a pen. And see if you can guess which companies they are. I'll give you a, about a minute. <clears throat> see if you can jot those down. If anyone gets five out of five, there's a, actually a special prize. Name that company. Okay, everyone done? That's good. Thank you. Put the, I think the easiest one first and save the hardest one for the end and try to rank them that way. So it should get harder as you go. 
right. Pencils down. Pass your papers in. Okay, number one, to help practically anyone trade practically anything on earth. eBay. That's yeah, it's, it's a gimme. Okay. This is a little harder, but the key word here is beverages. To be the world's premier consumer products company focused on convenience foods and beverages. Coca-Cola, close. PepsiCo. PepsiCo. Yeah, I think Coca-Cola is the leading, isn't it? I think PepsiCo is trying to be. I forget. Number three, to use nonviolent direct action and creative communication to expose global environmental problems and to promote solutions that are essential to a green and peaceful future. Greenpeace, that's good. All right, number four, to bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world. They actually host us cupcakes. Uh, no, it's Nike, yeah. <laughs> Nike, that would be Nike. And here's the last one, to enable people and businesses throughout the world to realize their full potential. That's a tough one. Microsoft. Oh, yeah, you know, that sounds like Bill Gates, you know. Anyone get five out of five? Oh, no one gets the special prize. All right. Yeah, it was, I was actually going to let you take that pencil home from the pew rack in front of you, so um, that was the prize. <clears throat> you know, it's interesting how mission statements work. It's interesting that we could guess so many of those companies just from what we know about the company and about a mission statement. When a mission statement is well-crafted and, more importantly, well-implemented, you can know a lot about who the company is and what they stand for. Uh, a mission statement is a wonderful thing. I, I suppose many of you have spent time, perhaps in your businesses, crafting mission statements, maybe for your department. Companies will spend hours and hours working out that mission statement, haggling over the exact verbiage, the exact word. And it's important because once you have that down, who you are and, and what you're about, it's an incredibly useful thing for any kind of organization. Uh, it helps you develop a strategic plan. How are we going to implement this? Implement this. It uh, uh, helps you to choose between different options that come uh, along in a company's way. Should we do this or should we do that? Well, I don't know. What are we about? Let's go back to our mission statement. What's our purpose for even being here as a company? Uh, organizations use mission statements. We have a mission statement as a church. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, if you looked on the back of the sermon notes, this is the mission statement. South Shore Baptist Church exists to glorify God. That's why we're here, we believe. And hopefully, hopefully our vision statement, our mission statement is coming out of the Bible. You can assess that. It's to glorify God by worshiping Him and making disciples for Christ to the people of the South Shore and beyond. That's why we're here. That's why I understand that we do church. Uh, that making disciples for Christ not only means reaching out to somebody who doesn't know Jesus and hoping they come to faith, but it helps someone who's come to faith in Jesus grow in their faith and then learn to serve and use their gifts and then to even become leaders and multiply their faith in other people. So making disciples includes that whole process of growing up in Christ, not just a, a small part of helping a new believer learn the Bible, but it's the whole process. So that's what we believe we're here for. And it's a very helpful thing because it helps us determine uh, how to make choices, where to go as a church. Someone comes along and says, hey, our church should have a food pantry. Someone else comes along and says, our church should do a big rummage sale. Uh, we should do this. And, well, should we do those things? I don't know. Let's start by going back to God's Word and then to a mission statement to, to be able to assess those options and to say, well, yeah, that would fit. Or, you know, that's just not what we're called to do. That's not what the church is or, or whatever it is. So it's a very helpful tool. We spend time and energy trying to sort these things out. But the ironic thing is 
As Rabbi Zacharias points out in his book, Jesus Among Other Gods, the ironic thing is that we very often spend little time developing a mission statement for our own lives. You know, why am I here? Well, think about it for a company, but, you know, what's my purpose in life? And we do it during college. I think that's probably when we visit that question. You get out of the house, you have all these majors, options in front of you. You have to ask the question, where am I going with my life? And so for a couple years in college, in our early 20s, we're in that sort of big picture mode. But then life just descends upon us. And the next thing we know, we're busy with life. Uh, we, we go to graduate school, we get a career, or maybe we get married, whatever it is, and, and our life just fills up with stuff. And I don't know, my own experience is, since college, I've just gotten so busy doing life that I don't often sit around and think about, you know, why am I doing this again? It's just easy to be busy with busyness. And so what is my purpose? We need to know our purpose, though. Rabbi Zacharias said that purpose is to life what the skeleton is to the body. You don't see it all the time, but it, it, it's what gives shape to the whole thing. It, it's what get, makes me able to, to direct my actions, the actions of my muscles and my body. So the same way, just as the skeleton does that, my purpose in life does that. So what is your purpose? Could you write it on one sentence on a piece of paper? What's my mission statement? Why am I here? And as Christians, we look to God's Word to answer questions like that. We believe that something as important as a a purpose in life, uh, you know, why am I here on planet Earth? That, that's something that's bigger than just what Jeremy makes up for himself. Purpose in life is not something that I cobble together from my various limited life experiences and a few books I've read. My purpose in life has to come from outside. I need to know from God, God, why did you put me here? What is your purpose for me? Not what do I think would be a cool purpose for me. But God, why do I exist? And so we come to Ephesians this morning. And I want to focus in on verse 17 and just a, a little phrase that is a huge phrase, even though it's a few words. It's in verse 17. Paul says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. My thesis is that the purpose of all human life, ultimately, is to know God. That is why we are here. That's why you exist and why I exist. To know our Maker. Notice that Paul here is praying. This is a prayer section, verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ... And so he's offering a prayer here. There's actually two prayers in Ephesians. There's one here and one in chapter 3. What's interesting is that in both of those prayer sections... He's praying for basically the same thing, that we would know God. Look at uh, chapter 3, verse 17 on the next page. Chapter 3, verse 17. He says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of of all the fullness of God. He wants us to know Christ's love, to be filled up with God. So again, Paul has two prayers in Ephesians. In this limited, short little letter, he prays for them twice, and he basically prays the same thing, but in different kinds of words. He wants them to know God. He wants them to know the love of God. He wants them to be filled up with the knowledge of God, which I think is pretty remarkable. I mean, if, if you could just pray for one thing for somebody, you had 
Or, you know, maybe make it more personal. If, if an angel were to come and stand before you and to say, what do you want? You have one request, I'll give it to you. What would you say? Maybe we might pray for health or a long life or prosperity or um, a relational need. What would we pray for? Would I think to say, you know what? I want to know God better. I don't know if I would think that right off the bat. Maybe if I had time to process it and pray about it. But, but uh, to, to know God to the purpose of human existence. It's a radical concept. We come from different backgrounds. We have different, uh, different ages, different genders, different uh, educational backgrounds, different parts of the country, some of you from different parts of the world. And we all gather together here, but the one thing we have in common with one another and with everybody in the world is that we were made to know God. That's why he put us here, that we might know him. And we might come to know Him. We knew Him originally, but because of sin, we've fallen away from God. And so we have to come to know Him again, to delight in Him, to enjoy Him. I don't know if you've ever heard of the uh, Westminster Catechism. It's a 17th century uh, document that was written that was a catechism. It was written to catechize people and teach them about the Christian faith. And maybe you've heard the first question on the Westminster Larger Catechism. I put it on the back of the sermon notes. The first question, very first question, right out of the blocks. What is the chief and highest end of man? Answer, man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That my ultimate purpose in life is not obviously to make money and establish a retirement, although that's good. My ultimate purpose in life is not even to be nice to people and make the world a better place, even though we should do that. My ultimate end in life is to know God, to glorify Him, to enjoy Him, to delight in Him. And what an incredible thought that is, that God can be known by us, that He desires to be known. Paul, uh, the apostle, penned his own mission statement, at least how I would take it. It's in Philippians. Flip over one book to Philippians chapter 3. A wonderful passage of Scripture It's the next book after Ephesians, Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. And here's the Apostle Paul's personal mission statement, if we could sort of put it in modern parlance. He says, chapter 3, verse 7, Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss, knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul's mission in life is knowing Jesus and knowing Him in every sense of the word, to be like Him, to obey Him, to be filled up with Him, to emulate Him, to know Christ. And he says, everything in my life is worthless compared to that. Not that everything is worthless, but that compared to Christ, it's worthless. That all of his accomplishments, all of his best deeds, all of the great things he could point to, everything that that would uh, give him happiness and satisfaction, he says, when I put them on a scale next to Jesus, they're like confetti. It's like dust. There's no comparison. It's rubbish compared to knowing Jesus Christ. And so we see Paul's mission statement here, to know Christ. It's so simple. As so many churches have as their purpose, to know Christ and make Him known. That's it. 
That's our purpose and mission in life. Let's just stop and think about how incredible that is, that the God who made me, the God who holds this world together moment by moment, can be known and desires to be known, desires for us to enter into a personal relationship with Him. I mean, it blows the mind. And yet, this is our purpose. So now let's shift gears a little bit and maybe ask the question, how does one do that? I mean, it's a cool concept, wow, to know God, but you know, what does that look like? I know how to know a person. And if I wanted to get to know you and you wanted to get to know me, we'd, uh, we'd probably go out and have coffee together. We'd talk, we'd share stories, we'd hear about each other's background. Uh, we'd spend time together, we'd uh, do things, we'd have shared experiences. I'd help you out, you'd help me out. And, and slowly but surely, we'd be able to say, yeah, I know so-and-so, we really know each other well. And so I know how to do that with a human being, but how do I do that with God? I mean, where is God? How do I, how do I find Him? Can I share a cup of coffee with Him? You know, what, what do I do? How do I get to know God? What does that look like? And so what I wanted to do is also spend a little time just thinking practically what it looks like for a believer to, to know God. And so on the back of the sermon notes, I did a, a, a mnemonic here, K-N-O-W, to know. And the reason I do this is not to be cutesy, but you know, so that on Wednesday when you're like, what was he talking about again? Oh yeah, K-N-O-W. Th- that's the whole point of this, um, just to remember. <clears throat> so there are at least four parts of knowing God. We could have more. This is obviously an artificial construct just to help us remember. But I think part of knowing God is, first of all, K, which is knowledge. We have to know truths about God. There are facts to be known about God. Just like I know my wife, and I can tell you facts about her. I can say uh, she's very organized. I can tell you that um, she's usually right. Uh, I can tell you that... Uh, I, I can tell you she has a wonderful ability to laugh at herself, which is one of the things that, that really attracted me to her and still does, that, that she can you know, find humor in her own uh, foibles and things. It's a wonderful gift to have. And so I can tell you facts about my wife. I could, I could explain things. And the same thing is true of God. You have to know things about God. And maybe you're saying, you know, duh. I mean, this is no real revelation, Pastor. But I think it bears repeating because we live in a culture where emotion has eclipsed reason, where experience has eclipsed uh, truth. And so it doesn't really matter what a candidate believes or what a candidate's voting record is. The important thing is, how does that candidate come across on TV? How does he or she strike you? I mean, if you want to succeed in politics today, it really helps to be physically attractive. It, it helps to be charismatic because people want, they want to feel something from a candidate, which is very unfortunate because we've made this shift away from truth more to emotion and experience and feeling and intuition. Not that those things are bad, but, but our minds uh, are, are where God's given us to think logically about things. And so in that kind of climate, we find that when we discuss spiritual matters or religious matters, people, especially I think with religious matters, tend to move in the emotional, intuitive, feeling kind of direction. So that the worst thing you can do today when you're talking about religious matters with somebody is to claim that you actually know something about God. You know, that's the worst thing you can do. Well, actually, God is like this. And people who think that God isn't are wrong. (gasps) You said someone is wrong? How dare you say anybody is wrong? You know, I was talking to a guy uh, a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about God, and he's basically, uh, I don't know, if I were to put him in a, a box, I would say sort of, 
Americanized Hinduism, sort of New Agey sort of thing. Uh, that ballpark. But so I was talking to this guy, and he said, you know, I worship a generic God. He said, the God I worship is not Muslim or Christian or Buddhist or Hindu or, or Shinto. But, but, you know, the God I worship is above all that. He's generic. He's, he's above doctrinal concepts. He's above dogmas. And so the reason there's all these fights and problems in the world is that people think they know something about God, and they get in a fight about it, and they kill each other. And so he said, I'm, I'm above that. I, I don't have you know, these, these doctrinal things that I have to stick to, which is interesting because the whole time he's saying this, he's actually saying doctrine, but, you know, that's beside the point. Well, actually, maybe that is the point. <laughs> uh, well, the point is that there are things you can know about God. You can know God, that He is holy, that He is faithful, and we need to think deeply about God. Uh, even in the church, I think this, this attitude creeps in where this, um, the experientialism and emotionalism can overwhelm true thinking about God. And so people today in evangelical circles even have less and less time for serious theological thought. You say theology and people are going to go, oh, uh-huh. you know, but I mean, come on, let's think about God. Let's worship Him with our minds as well as with our hearts. You know, thinking about God is a form of worship. It's, it's thinking seriously. Now, in years past and in ages past, Christians did think seriously about God. I thought of the uh, 17th century Puritan theologian, uh, Stephen Charnock, who wrote this little pamphlet. Uh, It's called The Existence and Attributes of God. It's 1,100 pages, small print, all just about who God is and what God is like. I've read about the first 110 pages of this, and I mean, it's, it's like reading through molasses. It's just so slow. But it's so rich. It's like you read three sentences and you want to go put the book down and go fall on your face. It's like, oh God, you're awesome. And you read another three sentences. Oh, you know, it's just so, so thick. And, and I just wonder, I'm like, how did he think all these thoughts? How did he come up with these thoughts? You know, and he, he loved to think seriously about God. This is worship. In the old days, they didn't disjoin a serious thought of God from love from God. They were put together. You know, those aren't necessarily contradictory. We can love God by thinking rigorously about Him. And that thinking of God leads us to worship, which should lead us to a greater desire to think more about Him. And, and so it goes. Now, I don't expect anyone here to read this, though if you do read this, you can take home one of those pencils. Uh, I would, as a gift from me to you. Um, you know, a good book to read, if you want to think more about God is J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God. It's a little more accessible. I'd encourage you, buy this book if you haven't read it. Maybe you commute. Great book to read on a commute. Chapters are maybe seven, eight pages long. And so you can read a chapter in 20, 30 minutes. And, and what they do is the chapters focus on different attributes of God. His faithfulness, His holiness, His wrath, His mercy. You know, what does all this mean? Again, a book where you read a chapter and you want to get on your knees and worship the Lord. Because... You think about Him. Thinking about God will cause you to worship God. But knowing God, of course, is more than just knowing the facts, obviously. Uh, Satan knows the facts. <laughs> he probably is a better believer than we are when it comes to the facts. I mean, he's a fundamentalist, you know? Uh, he, he knows the facts. But knowing God is more than just having the right doctrine. 
though it's certainly not less than having the right doctrine. So I look at N here. K is knowledge or information, truth. N would be a new birth. A new birth. That to know God means that you have to have an experience of a new birth or salvation in Christ. You know, in the Old Testament, when they talked about knowing God, it was always linked to God's saving acts in history. So in the Old Testament uh, thought, one didn't think about God just in the theological abstract, but he was the God who had done things in history. So he was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He had appeared to these people, made promises to them, and intervened on their behalf in their lives. And so that's how they knew him, because he had saved them. He was uh, the God who brought them out of Egypt, right? You know, he wasn't just the God out there. He was the God who saved the Israelites from Egypt. So God was known by what God had done in their lives. And the same is true in the New Testament times, except now the great moment, the great event, the great salvation is Jesus' death on the cross for us. So the way that we know God is when we have an experience of God saving us through faith in Jesus Christ. It's our exodus. Jesus is our Moses. And Pharaoh uh, is now Satan and all these kinds of parallels. And it's as God has rescued us out of uh, the sin in which we find ourselves that we have an experience of exodus as well. And so we know God because He saved us and brought us to Himself. You have to have a new birth. You have to be born again. Jesus said no one can enter the kingdom of God is born again. Now I know that, that phrase born again, you know, sort of brings up people's hackles. It's kind of a pejorative term today. You know, born again Christians. You ask somebody, well, what do you think about born again Christians? Uh, you know. but, but I think that we need to come back to the scripture and say, what did Jesus mean when he talked about that? Not what does the culture associate with it? Because Jesus is the one who gave us the phrase. Nicodemus came to hang out with Jesus. He said, you know what? We know you're a good teacher from God. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again. You have to be born again. So what does that mean? Well, it means that I come to faith in Jesus, and as I do so, I become a new person. My sins are forgiven, like we sang about there at the cross. I, I, my heart is changed. I have new desires. I'm filled up with the love of God, the joy of God. I become a radically different person. And so to know God, you have to be born again through Jesus Christ. And there is no other way to know that new birth. Christ is God's revelation to us. And so if we're going to know God, we have to know what He said to us in Christ. There's a story told that I found interesting along these lines. It's a story about Bishop John Taylor Smith, who was the former chaplain general of the British Army. And he was preaching in a large cathedral on the text... Unless a person is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And in order to drive the point home, he said, My dear people, do not substitute anything for the new birth. You may be a member of a church, but church membership is not new birth. Because unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And on the, the preacher's left, there sat the archdeacon in his stall. And pointing directly at him, he said, You might even be an archdeacon like my friend over here and not be born again. And unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You might even be a bishop like myself, he said, and not be born again. And unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. A day or so later, he received a letter from the archdeacon in which he wrote, My dear bishop, you have found me out. I have found me out. 
I have been a clergyman for over 30 years, but I have never known anything of the joy that Christians speak of. I never could understand it. Mine has been hard legal service. I did not know what was the matter with me, but when you pointed directly to me and said you may even be an archdeacon and not be born again, I realized in a moment what the trouble was. I had never known anything of the new birth. And so he went on to say that he was wretched and miserable, that he had been unable to sleep all night and begged for a conference. The bishop said, of course, he would love to meet with him. And so they met. And the next day they went over the Word of God. And after some hours, taking his place before God, simply as a poor, lost sinner, and telling the Lord Jesus he would trust him as his Savior, from that time on, everything has been different. A beautiful story. But it shows. There's nothing that can make me know God. No ritual. I can't go to seminary and be ordained and say, well, therefore I must know God, although hopefully I do. (laughs) Hopefully a church wouldn't ordain me unless I knew God. But sometimes people slip by in different churches and different organizations. The bottom line is, have you been born again? Have you been saved? And if you have, that's how you enter into a living relationship with God. And that is open to anybody who will confess that they are a sinner and need Jesus and put their trust in Him. But then there's O. K is knowledge. Knowing God means knowing the truths about Him. Knowing God means having an experience of salvation where we enter into a relationship with Him. O is for obedience. Obedience. Knowing God means that we obey God. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Paul says in the book of Titus when he's warning about false teachers, he says there are many who claim to know God, but they deny him by their actions. So that if I know God, I will obey God. And again, this is important because we live in a time in which spirituality is so often equated with technique. So a spiritual person is a person who uh, is good at meditation or has had a certain experience or someone who's made a pilgrimage to, to India or to some other holy site. And we say, well, that person's spiritual because they've done this, this, and that. But in biblical understanding, a spiritual person is always a holy person. In biblical understanding, a spiritual person is always a godly, obedient person because morality and spirituality are linked in biblical thought. Because God is holy. And so to know God, to be like Him, means that I become a holy and godly person over time too. So to be spiritual is to be godly and holy. So if we want to know God, we have to obey God. And that means as Christians, even those of us who have experienced new birth, we have to keep following God and obeying God in order to draw close to Him. If you are truly a born-again, saved Christian in a biblical sense, you can never fall away from the Lord. You cannot lose your salvation. But can your relationship with the Lord be strained or dimmed? Or or can you be distant from God because of disobedience? Of course. Just like any relationship. My son will always be my son. I will always love him. But you know, can our relationship be strained by his disobedience? Yes. And so it is with me and the Father. I, I need to obey the Father. And so if I'm feeling far away from God, first question to ask myself is, am I disobedient? Am I living away from God in sin? And if so, you know, stop whining, repent, and, and obey. Turn back to the Lord. And so obedience is how we follow the Lord and how we know Him. Because to know Him is to be like Him. So it's knowledge, it's new birth, it's obedience, and finally the W is worship. That knowing God involves worshiping Him, delighting in Him, 
to use the Westminster Catechism again, it's to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. Boy, that's a great definition of worship. I don't know what you think of as worship. I think so many, so many times we associate corporate worship with the outward forms of singing or, you know, I, I like this music, I like that, I like, you know, that flower arrangement, not that flower arrangement, you know, or the pastor's tie is crooked or why doesn't he ever wear a tie or, or you know, whatever. And, and we think about these kinds of, of things associated with worship, but God, he's looking at our hearts. Worship is when I glorify God and enjoy God and delight in God. When I have a vision of him and my heart is filled up with praise for him. That's what real worship is. And so we get together here as a church to worship the Lord, to know him. I have to keep reminding myself of that because, you know, I, I get paid to, to be here Sunday morning. <laughs> and so I have to make sure that when I walk in the door Sunday morning, that I'm not just coming to execute a task of preaching a sermon, but I have to make sure that when I come here Sunday morning, I'm coming here just like you to know God better. That's why I want to be here in church. And if it ever is less than that, then you know, I, I want to skip Sunday. So if I don't show up some Sunday, you know I'm, I'm dealing with stuff. Uh, but really, I mean, I want to be here in church because I need to know God too. That's why we worship corporately. But we also have to worship individually. We have to spend time in the Bible. You can't know God unless you read His Word. You can't grow in your faith unless you read His Word. I'm sorry, it's just that simple. I wish I had some shortcut, but there isn't one. You have to spend time in the Bible if you're going to grow in your knowledge of God. If you don't have a Bible, take home the one in the pew rack in front of you. I mean, really, just take the Bible. You need a Bible. And make sure you read it. As we read the Bible, we come to meet with God. I used this illustration earlier. Actually, I stole it from someone else in the church. Uh, but uh, the Bible is kind of like the tent of meeting in the Old Testament. Do you remember where Moses went out into the tent of meeting and he met with God? That's, this is our tent of meeting. You know, we come to the Bible and, and we meet with God here. It's not just that I'm getting a head full of facts from the Bible, although hopefully I am, but I'm meeting with God and I'm hearing Him speak to me. And so I come to meet with God when I read His Word. And, and if you'll take that, that approach to Bible study, it will revolutionize the way you read the Bible. If I come to this Word saying, God, I'm coming to hear You, meet with You, know You, it'll totally rejuvenate the way you study the Bible. And we need to pray, of course. Paul prayed, Lord, help us to know you better. We have to be praying. Uh, prayer is hard. You know, I, um, I have a, a, actually a, a strong ability to concentrate. I've always been able to concentrate well. I've, I've always been a good student because I can focus really well. But for some reason, I can't focus when I pray. <laughs> I can concentrate on everything, just not prayer. My mind's like, you know, all over the place. I find that when I have, for me to pray, this is the thing I, I finally, it's worked for me after umpteen years being a Christian is I have to just go out on walks. And I go walking. Maybe you see me wandering around town. That's, that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm not lost. <laughs> I'm not looking for a restaurant. I'm, I'm just... I'm, I, and it's not because I'm trying to like flaunt myself. It's like I just have to. Because if I don't, if I'm sitting in my office trying to pray, you know, boo-boo, Outlook Express, bangs. oh, I've got an email. Hmm. You know, and, uh, there's a phone over there. And boy, I should be studying. And, uh, you know, when is Lord of the Rings coming out? Oh, yeah. And so, you know, my mind is all over. And so I need to just walk. And when I'm walking, I can just kind of shut everything out. And the good thing about walking is, is that if you get out half an hour, you have to come back half an hour. So you can't cut it short. So it's like, you've got to go out, you've got to come back, and you get exercise. It's great. There's many benefits. So I encourage everybody uh, to try prayer walking in that sense. It's really worked for me, and I'm sort of ADD when it comes to prayer. 
But you know, we got to pray. I wish there were shortcuts to give you. I wish I had some easy formula, but there's not. There's prayer and Bible study. And I know that's like, oh yeah, I've heard that before, but this, that's it. You have to pray and read the Bible. It's some type in, in some proportion in your life. It doesn't have to be two hours. If it's just 10 minutes and that's all you got, take the 10 minutes. But you have to, because that's how we know God. He speaks to us, we speak to Him, and we grow closer to Him in addition to the other things. So you have to, and I, I need to know the facts about God. I need to have an experience of new birth. I need to obey Him and I need to worship Him. And I need Him to give me the grace to do it all. Because I can't gym it up in myself. I can't just work it up and do it. God has to, by His grace, move in my heart so that I might be a man who knows Him. And so I would encourage you this Christmas season, this Advent season, to know the Lord. Isn't it ironic that this is the season when we celebrate Emmanuel? Emmanuel in Hebrew means God with us. Im is with and nu is the, the first person plural uh, pronoun for us. With us, El, God. It's the time when God comes with us in Jesus Christ to know us and to be known by us. And yet this is the time when I'm so darn busy <laughs> that I don't actually spend time knowing Him. It's just so ironic that I, I'm likely to spend more time walking the shopping malls than I am on my knees talking to Him. And so somehow I have to figure out how to do Christmas, how to take it back from the tyranny of capitalism and to focus on Christ as the meaning of Christmas and to know Him. And so, hey, that's something for you guys to talk about over lunch or brunch or whatever you do. Here's the question for discussion. Uh, how can this Christmas, how can I work on knowing God and not just be so busy caught up in the hubbub? There's a question. Talk amongst yourselves. You know, just think about that one. That's one to discuss. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister Mary has left me to do the work by myself? Flesh and dwelt among us. That he put on human flesh and, and became made in the image of man. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who reveals you to us. And so God, we thank you that even though we are lost and clueless, you are a God who in love and mercy has made yourself known to us. And so as we study your word this morning, we pray that we might know you through your word. We pray, Lord, that you might speak to our hearts. Our desire is not just to... to think some new thoughts or get some new information or to hear a good message, Lord. But our, our purpose here, God, is to hear from you. And so we pray, and I pray for myself, that you would speak to us now through your word. We come to it with expectation, with eagerness to find out what you would say to us. We desire to know you better. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.